I don't get this in New Zealand very often. Uh, to be in a room with a few hundred people who worship God and seek him. And uh, can you pray for my country, my adopted home, New Zealand? I so want a movement of God's spirit to happen so that maybe even one day we could have a Christian college in New Zealand. There would be enough Christians to support it. So I've, I've had fun and the worship has been amazing and the prayer has been amazing. Uh, it's definitely been worth the, uh, <clears throat> the long trip. One more message I wanna give this, this morning. Um, there was a priest, his name was Zechariah. He got two weeks out of the year to, uh, to work in the temple in Jerusalem. And um, his turn came and, and he even got to, to be in the temple lighting the, in, lighting the incense, which probably maybe was a once in a lifetime thing for him. So he's in the temple and he's at, it's the hour of prayer, probably the evening prayer, and he's lighting the incense and an angel appears to him. Not just like a junior angel, Gabriel appears to him. And he says, your, your prayer has been heard, Zechariah. What was his prayer? Well, him and his wife, Elizabeth, were old and they didn't have any kids. It says actually in Luke chapter one that Elizabeth was, was barren. And whenever you see the word barren in scripture, it means that God is about to do something. And his prayer, no doubt, was, oh, I'd love to have a son. So the angel says, you're going to have a son. You're not just going to have an ordinary son. Actually, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from, from before he's born. And he's going to be a mighty prophet of God. He's going to turn the hearts of, of, of Israel back to God, the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And so Zechariah hears this word from, from Gabriel, the angel, and then he goes, wow, that's amazing. And he says, can, can you show me a sign that this will happen? If an angel is standing in front of you, that's a sign. Just a heads up. If that ever happens to you, don't ask for another sign. I think Gabriel was, was a, a bit, um, he wasn't very happy <laughs> Was Zachariah said, okay, here's your sign, pal. You're not going to speak and probably hear for the next nine months. That was his sign. A few months into her pregnancy, Elizabeth is, is, is visited by her cousin, probably her cousin Mary. And Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And when Mary comes to see Elizabeth, John recognizes Jesus in utero. When he's finally, finally born, Zachariah's mouth is loosened and he, and he speaks prophetically um, about his son and the people around him are scared. They're going, what kind of child is this going to be? Can you imagine growing up with that as your birth story? His whole life, I'm, heard, I'm sure he heard, you are special, John. You are special. 
Well, we don't know what happened to him in between his birth and when he came onto the scene 30 years later other than he lived in the desert. Most likely, his parents uh, passed away early in his life. And when he was about 30, he comes on the scene and he starts preaching and he, and he preaches with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, with the power of God, and people respond from all over Jerusalem, all over Judea, and they come out to hear John and they repent. He baptizes them and a revival is happening in Israel. John's ministry was the ministry. It was the happening thing in town. Everybody wanted to go out to hear him speak. Well, a little while into this revival that's happening, Jesus, his cousin, comes to him. And I don't know if John recognized him from before, if, because they were, they were relatives, but when he sees him, he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Not something you normally say about your cousin. <laughs> he baptizes Jesus. Jesus goes away for about 40 days. And then he comes on the scene and he starts preaching. And you know what? Jesus is a better preacher than John. And Jesus starts doing miracles, healing people, even raising the dead. And, and John, as far as we know, didn't do any miracles. And so pretty soon, the crowds start leaving John and going to Jesus. Even John's like inner circle, his team, his disciples, they start leaving and going to follow Jesus. And in the text that was read this morning, his remaining disciples come up to him and basically they say, John, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're losing all our people. Now, if that happens to us today, we, we, you know, we got to think, what, what do we need to do? Let's go to another uh, seminar or conference on how to be hip with the kids. Let's do something that we can, that, to get the people back. And John's response here, he had a moment of clarity, and he said, everything is a gift. Everything that a person has is a gift. And he said, I'm, I'm not the bridegroom. <laughs> I'm a friend of the bridegroom. And, and he must increase and I must decrease. Pretty amazing statement for someone who was the center of attention of a whole nation for a while and then lost everything. And John eventually speaks out against the political leaders of the day, which was a bad idea then. And he gets thrown in jail and eventually gets his head cut off. And that's how the story ends for John. If God came to you this morning and said, I want you to prepare your whole life for this, this task that I have for you. And it's going to last about six months, a year, tops, and it's going to end in failure. Are you ready to say, yes, that's my dream? 
to have my life end in failure. How did John, how, how could he possibly make that statement? Everything's a gift. He must increase, I must decrease. In that moment, in that moment of clarity that John had, I think he really understood, he understood who he was. He understood where his, where his identity came from, where his value came from, what his call was. And so he knew that that's the way things were supposed to go. He didn't try to get from the crowds his identity. Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the source of living water, to dig from themselves wells, wells that are empty and can hold no water. And in, in that verse, God, through his prophet Jeremiah, is saying to his people, you've di- disconnected yourself from the source of life. And you're trying to dig these wells because you think there's life in it. And they're empty. They can't, they can't give you what you think they'll give you. It's talking about idolatry. It's the root of every sin. The sin we commit or don't, or the stuff we do or don't do, what's behind all that is uh, if, if I do this, I'll get my life from it. It'll give me something that, that I can't get from God. And there's wells that we dig. In the context of John's ministry, one, one of the, the wells would be success, right? Success. I get my life by being a success. Whether in ministry, whether in school, whether in athletics, I get my life from success. And you know what? It's an empty well. When I first started out in ministry and I was a youth pastor, I lived and died by how well my my youth meeting went. And when it went well, I thought, I am the greatest youth pastor in the world. I am youth pastor. (laughs) And when it didn't go well, I thought, I'm worthless. I'm worthless. And I lived and died by how successful my ministry was. And I had to get out of ministry for a while to sort that out. And I had this season where God just kind of taught me about grace and where my, my value and identity came from. And it was so liberating. It was so wonderful. Another well I think that, that we can dig, especially in a Christian context, is, is this, this well of our giftedness. We get our life by how, from, from how gifted we are, even spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts or talents are not a good source of value, identity, and life. When we try to to get it from our performance, it's going to disappoint, and we're gonna get really, really tired, because you gotta keep dancing. You gotta keep doing it. 
I'll look at this kind of stuff. If I'm really, really thirsty, if I'm really, really thirsty and someone hands me a jar of peanut butter, I'd eat it because I go through a jar of peanut butter a day. <laughs> I, got, I have issues. <laughs> but I'm going to eat that peanut butter. And you know what? I'm still going to be thirsty. I'm going to even be more thirsty because peanut butter is not designed to quench thirst. And success and my giftedness is not designed to give life. It's not designed to define who I am. There's another well that I I think is, is probably one that we fall into quite a bit. We start digging, and it's the well of our reputation. This is something that's uh, quite relevant for me. When I, I started the Hardcore Bible Study, the, the ministry that, that, that I've told you about, in the early days, people kind of thought I was a, a bit weird and didn't get much respect for what I'm doing, what, what we were doing. But then as we, we kept doing it and, and stuff started happening, and back then, the, the district superintendent was Gary Benedict, and he would, he would let me uh, stand up at district conference and, and talk a little bit about what was going on. And all of a sudden, people, people started thinking rather highly of me. And I would get invited to speak places, different kinds of churches, and, and people started thinking really highly of me, too highly of me. And I knew that, and I thought, well, you know, I'm humble. And I'd go to some kind of prophetic type churches and I'd get these prophecies and the kind of the man of God prophecies, the man of God prophecy. And then my wife left me. And I didn't get any man of God prophecies anymore. I didn't get any invitations for a while to speak anywhere. And my reputation, and I I had people saying stuff about me and even calling me on the phone to tell me um, what they thought. And when my reputation was was really good, I kind of did know it was, you know, I kind of knew who I was and and it was okay. But but when that was taken away, I kind of realized that I really liked it. (laughs) I really liked the man of God prophecies. kind of liked it and everything was stripped away shortly after um, I went through a divorce um, I got sick (laughs) I ended up in the hospital and they were checking for cancer and I'm laying in the hospital I'm going boy what 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 else can happen? And I, and I went home after that. I, I, I got another invitation to speak, and I was coming back home where I was living, and I found out my dog died. Somebody killed our dog in the city. And I thought, man, my life is a country western song. My wife left me, and my dog died. I'm sick. And I just felt like, man, I'm, a, I'm so lame. 
And it was during that time again where God showed me who I was, where my life came from, where my identity came from, where my value came from. And I wasn't acceptable to God because of my reputation. I wasn't acceptable to God because of my giftedness or because of any past success. I was acceptable to God because of Jesus, because of the cross. And so whether people thought well of me or thought poorly of me, it didn't matter. That didn't change anything. It didn't change how God thought about me and how he accepted me and welcomed me and loved me. The only possible way we can pour our lives out for the kingdom of God, pour our lives out for the gospel and not care whether we succeed or fail is if we know this. And if we don't know this and we get involved in leadership, we're gonna hurt people. There's a lot of post-church people in, in the world, in the Western world today. You could throw a rock and hit one of them. Don't, but. <laughs> and some of them are post-church because they got burned by leaders who were insecure, who didn't know where their life came from, didn't know where their value came from, didn't know where their identity came from. So how do, you, how do we know, how do we know? Let me suggest some, um, ask you some questions about how you know if you're getting your life from God or if you're dealing with real insecurity. First thing um, is, are you jealous? Can you celebrate someone else's success? And if you're involved in ministry, can you celebrate somebody's success? Do you want the kingdom of God to come even if it doesn't come through you? Can we celebrate someone else's success? In my part of the world, they have what's called the tall poppy syndrome. Anybody who's successful gets lopped, their head lopped off, gets tore down. You've probably seen that. I've seen it in the church world where the, the growing, you know, the fastest growing church of the day, and it changes, people tear it down who aren't part of it. Second question, do I have a problem with lying? Do I stretch the truth? Do I cover up things so that I don't look quite so bad? If I do, if I have a problem with those things, I'm probably not getting my life from God. I'm getting my life from how I present my pe myself to other people and, and other people's opinions of me. And we can be so manipulative with that. I can stand up here and be vulnerable about my life. 
but there's probably some stuff I'm not gonna tell you because I don't want you to think that I'm that bad. Another question, are you controlling? Do you have control issues? Now, I know some of you are just firstborn kids and you have control issues because you're just living with a lot of pressure. I get that. But do you control things? If you have to control everything around you, probably not getting your life from God. Getting your life from how you can manage the stuff around you. Another question, when's the last time I took a risk? If our life's not come from God, we're probably not gonna take any risks because we can't risk failing, we can't do it. I think one of the greatest gifts I gave to the Salvage Yard Church that we planted was I didn't care if it failed. I didn't care if it failed. So we were free to try things that failed. <laughs> Another question, are you tired? If I'm exhausted all the time, I'm leaving aside, you know, stupid lifestyle choices, if I'm exhausted all the time, it could be that I'm just performing and I gotta perform. I gotta look good. Last question, have you ever been wrong? Have you been wrong in the last year? If you've never been wrong, you have some insecurity issues. Because <laughs> nobody's right all the time. Nobody. I think if we really want to experience this deeper life that we've been thinking about, these last few days, it's gotta begin with this, is that I worship God and I get my life from him. I get what I need from him. I don't try to get from other people or from other um, events or from my success or my reputation. I don't try to get my life from those things. They're not designed to give it. I need to go to God. I need to get my life from him. I would love to see healthy, secure people graduate from Crown every year. Now, I know it's a process, of course it is. But people who are really free understand God's grace and get their life from Him. So, I would suggest today, sometime over the weekend, that you just kind of take inventory. Take inventory of your life. And identify those, those empty wells that we're digging, those areas of idolatry where we're trying to get our life from something or someone else. For those of you headed into ministry, this is a huge issue 
revolving relationships. That guy or that girl is not going to complete you. So don't throw away your call. Don't throw away what God has for you by getting involved in a relationship. It's not going to give you what you want. When I met Kirsty, I cried <laughs> on my way home from Wellington that year. And we got married, and it was so wonderful. But you know what? We talk about this. We talked about this early on in our marriage. We still have the ache. We still have the ache for God, the ache for his kingdom. And Kirsty doesn't make that go away. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you accept us and you love us and you give us our life and our identity. And I pray this morning that your spirit would reveal anything that we're getting our life from that's not of you. And I pray, God, that we'd be so captivated by your love and by your goodness that we would live with such freedom and abandonment to you that we could love and we could serve and we could sacrifice, and we could suffer. So I ask this in your name. Amen. Can I give you a blessing? I'm a priest. It's what we do. May you experience the deeper life in such a way that it would be normal life, everyday life for you. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Kia kaha.